That's me. He is risen. Hey, you remember your lines from this morning? That's great. That's great. Oh, boy. I have, I have so many Bible verses here. I don't even know where to tell you to turn. Um, just pick a verse. We're probably going to do it. Uh, the, the greatest... I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that thing. Yeah. Kids can go. Yeah, kids can go if you want. Yeah. And nothing's humming that shouldn't be humming. Sounds good. Pretty much. All right. Well, let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you as our God and King. We confess now that, that by your resurrection... Um, you have proved to be God, a very God. Um, we, we know that by your death, our sins have been forgiven and that we were buried with you through baptism and that you have raised us up to new life with you, that you have given us eternal life, a quality of life that is of heaven, of everlasting. We thank you that that as we look to Jesus, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we are seeing one who has taken us into his family and even to his body. We are the body of Christ. That we're, we're experiencing mysteries here that we can't understand, that can't be fully expounded in a sermon, but that we can certainly worship around. We worship you for making your story of death and resurrection our story for putting our sins to death, for giving us a new life, for promising us heaven. We worship you, Jesus. Amen. 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 This is a celebration. And uh, all the greatest celebrations are mysteries. Um, the greatest joys, the things worth celebrating with everything in us are, are things that are beyond our understanding. That's why we don't just have classes about them. We have parties instead. Uh, you know, there's there's things uh, and times where we are left with joy that surpasses our ability to comprehend. Marriage, marriage is a mystery. Um, a, a baby being born is a mystery. These are uh, some of life's greatest mysteries that we rejoice in them because we recognize in them something that is beyond uh, something even of the eternal, a mystery of Christ in the church and a mystery of life that we can't make. Easter is our greatest celebration, and it is far beyond our comprehension. We have no idea what we're talking about today. We just have no idea. And, and one of the, the beautiful, joyful mysteries uh, that we see in Easter, one of the truths that Easter gives us, is that when Christ rose from the dead, he brought us with him from death into life. How? Don't ask me that, but I love it. And that's, that's the nature of this celebration. Easter is your story. And this is a mystery that we are able to rejoice in. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's a mystery. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, it says, You died, and he's talking to living people right there. You died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, Reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Same chapter, Romans 6, but in verse 4, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Let's keep this going. This is fun. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, on Sunday mornings, we've been going through 1 Corinthians, as most of you know, and we've been seeing things in the writings of Paul. Um, we, we've seen that Paul is, is an apostle who is relentlessly dedicated to Jesus entirely. I've determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. He talks about Jesus so much. And I'm going to try to do the same thing. <laughs> when we see something else in the writings of Paul, Paul didn't just speak of Jesus. He lived to Jesus. Paul is the guy who said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's Paul who wrote, for me to live is Christ. Mysteries again, right? These are mysterious, joyful things. And we talked about this last month a little bit, this sanctified imagination that Paul had where he was able to see himself not only as someone who talks about Christ as this other topic that he just, and like a hobby, someone he knows he likes to talk about, but he, he sees himself as someone who is an extension of Christ, of the body of Christ, someone who is imitating Christ not just in his behaviors, but in every way possible. There are some people in scripture you read about whose intimacy with the Lord is so extreme that there's significant overlap. There's an eclipse of where Jesus ends and the disciple begins. It's not as clear as you might think. Those are beautiful saints. Today is Easter Sunday, and today is all about Jesus. It's specifically all about the living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. But in celebrating the truth, who is the truth with a capital T, and in celebrating this event of the resurrection and preaching Christ as the one who is raised from the dead, I don't want you to think that we're talking about something distant from you. I don't want you to think that we're talking about something that doesn't touch you. I'm talking about the life of Christ that you are invited into. I'm talking about a resurrection that is yours. Uh, it's a life, an, an eternal life that Christ gives us, and it's his life. And it's a life that is meant to consume and redefine your own life. The resurrection is about Jesus Christ. But for all of his disciples, for everyone in his family, this is about you. This is a mystery, and it's worth celebrating. So let's talk about Jesus and see where the overlaps begin. Let's talk about Jesus, and then let's talk about you. Jesus was here around 2,000 years ago. Yes, we'll be here a while. And you, you weren't, so already my, you might question my theory about there being similarities in his story and yours. But even before 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was and is. He was in heaven, enjoying eternity with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is God of very God. He created everything that is created. In John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. 
In Colossians 1.16, it says, All things were made through him and for him. All things were made for him. That includes you and I. We were made for Jesus. We were made by Jesus, and we were made for Jesus. Jesus has been around forever. And it is that distant forever, uh, that, that distant forever of the past where your stories actually overlap first. Because you see, the Bible says that you were chosen before the foundation of the world. It is not merely fanciful imagination to know that in eternity past, the Son of God was aware of you and every detail of everything that makes up you. King David says in Psalm 139, he says, in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Before you were, you were in him. The story of you and Jesus began a long, long time ago. Now, I mentioned the overlap there, these touching points between you and Jesus. Please know that this is not to do away with the great, big, obvious difference between the two of you. He is God, and you, my friend, are not. These are categorical differences. Another difference, you're a sinner. You make mistakes. You are on the wrong team. In biblical speak, you have fallen short of the glory of God. In another passage, we are called children of darkness. Not very flattering. God isn't like that. God is good all the time. In him, there is no darkness. There is no variation or shadow of turning. He is consistently faithful, always good. But despite this glaring contrast between the two of you, between you and he, I'm, I'm going to double down on this statement. You actually have a lot in common. Because around 2,000 years ago, he became just like you on purpose. Easter begins at Christmas. And at Christmas time, we celebrate his birthday because that was a pretty big deal, angels sang and stuff like that. He was born into a poor Jewish family about two miles outside of Jerusalem in a stable. He grew up in Israel. He learned the family business from Joseph, the father who adopted him. He was a carpenter until he was about 30. And I can't really tell you very much about the first 30 years of his life. No one wrote it down. And he doesn't really like to talk about it much. Um, but I don't know very much about the first 30 years of most of your lives either. So again, a lot in common. Um, but something I can say, something I can say is that he had this in common with you. He was tempted in every way that you have been tempted. Hebrews 4.15 says this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Everything. You've been tempted to cheat? Jesus was. You've been tempted to lie? He knows what that's like. You've been tempted by lust? Jesus is aware of that feeling. You've been tempted in many, many ways and probably followed through with more than your fair share of them. And that's where the similarity of temptation between you and Jesus ends. <laughs> Jesus was tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. When he was building a table in his dad's shop and he smashed his thumb with a hammer and he was tempted to curse, he didn't. <laughs> that's one really crazy thing about Jesus. He never sinned. He never, not even once, sinned. And when he was 30, he quit the carpenter job. He just started preaching. He got 12 guys together to be his best buddies. He preached in Israel. He healed sick people. He cast out demons. He got into trouble. <laughs> he said some really crazy stuff. 
Well, he was on the preaching circuit, Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies. You love that one, don't you? Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Weird. He said, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Matthew 6, 25 and 34. He said strange things that made people scratch their heads. He invited people to be with him and follow his example. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. But he also talked about death a whole lot. He said, you're blessed when people persecute you. And that he had come not just to teach, but to die. He made this very clear. He taught people how to pray, but he prayed and taught differently than any of the religious people in his day. He taught people how to pray to God like he was their father. When Jesus would pray, he would call God his father. He's the first Jew in history to say, God is my father. They said, God is our father collectively as a nation. But Jesus, he said, God is my father. And this is one of the reasons they wanted to kill him for saying that he was God's son. He said a lot of things and he did a lot of things that would really just blow your mind. But again, not a whole lot of that was written down. One of his best friends, John, said that there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And even his biographers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they didn't spend nearly as much time on this stuff that he said or stuff that he did as the last seven days before his death. That's where they spend most of their time. One third of the words of his biographies, the Gospels, are concerned with this last week, and I'm going to tell you why. And this is where Jesus and you, again, have an overlap in your life stories. This is the mystery of Easter. It's not just about Jesus 2,000 years ago. Easter is about you and what God is doing in your life today. Your lives intersect at several points. I'm going to show you how. I want you to see the overlap. The books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John focus so much on the death of Jesus because the death of Jesus has everything to do with every one of you. See, my friend Jesus... He died on purpose. John 10, 17 says, he says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't plan B. He said he was always intending to die, but not just because death sounded like a good idea. He died for sins. And this is where you come into the story in a very real way but not before a sheep. So let's talk about sheep. When Jesus started his ministry, he did this by going to his cousin, John, who was also a preacher. John was baptizing people, calling them to repent of their sins because Jesus was coming. He was preparing the way for the Savior. When John saw Jesus coming, he said something very interesting. He says in Matthew chapter 121, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is called the Lamb of God. What this is talking about is sacrifice. God had been telling people for centuries that if they wanted to come to him, to be with him and not have their sins get in the way, of them and God, they would take an animal, sometimes a lamb, and bring him to a priest. Had to be a perfect lamb, no scars, no diseases, didn't have a limp, had to be perfect. And then the time would come when you would take that lamb to the priest and you would, you would take your lamb, put your hand on the lamb's head, and by doing so you were symbolically identifying with this lamb 
and you would put your sins on that animal. Then the priest would slit the animal's throat, bleed it out, and roast it. And depending on the sacrifice, they would eat some of it too. And it was a very clear picture. It is evident that sin is being judged one way or another. In this case, the sinner wasn't. Sin was being judged. The sinner was not being punished. The animal was. So John calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, saying that the sin of the world would come upon him and he would be punished for our sins in our place. Isaiah 53, 11 says, He shall bear their iniquities. So he says, I'm doing this on purpose. I'm laying down my life so that I can take it up again. I'm doing it on purpose. I'm doing it for you. And again, here's the the place where your story and Jesus' story become the same story. You're the sinner. Deserving of punishment, deserving of death. Jesus didn't sin at all and was undeserving of death. But instead of those two things continuing as two parallel lines never meeting, his line crosses over, basically interrupting your life story and took your punishment. Christ died for your sins. From here on out, your life and Christ's are inextricably united. He died your death. So then what what happens next? Well, then you live his life. If you have placed your sins on his head, if you chose to make the Lamb of God your sacrifice, then Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is your life story. In fact, it's really where your life story begins. It's where real life begins. Let me remind you of one of those verses we read at the beginning, Galatians 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. Colossians 3, 3, it says, You died and your life was hidden, is hidden with Christ in God. You died with Jesus. Christ's death was died for sin. He died for your sin as your sacrifice. If you place your hand on the head of the Lamb then he will be judged for your sins rather than you being judged for them. The scripture says he also died to sin. Romans 6.10 says, For the death that he died, he died to sin. What does that mean? It means he broke the power that sin has. He died as a sacrifice for sin to appease the, the wrath of God. So he freed you from the consequences of sin. That's something called justification. But he also died to sin. And by doing that, he has freed you from the power of sin. Sin and Jesus had a showdown. Guess who lost? Okay, this this dying to sin produces something for you called sanctification. Romans 6, again, verse 11 says, Reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The sins that have been controlling your life for as long as you can remember, your pride, your lusts, your greed, your anger, your unforgiveness... Those are things that Christ faced and had victory over in his death. Because Christ died to sin, then those sins and that version of yourself, the sinner, died with him. You were crucified with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. This is your life story. Christ was buried for our sins. Romans 6, 4, therefore we were buried with him. This is central to the gospel. All that background stuff I shared about Jesus, his birth, his teachings, his miracles, his friends, those are pretty cool. It's not the gospel yet. It's not the main point. A lot of people are okay with accepting Jesus as all those things. Good teacher, healer, whatever. That's not all who Jesus was, and it's certainly not the gospel. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wrote these words, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. In other words, let me remind you of the go- what the gospel is. This is where you live, right? You live in it. This is your life story. This is the gospel. And then here's the definition he gives. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. He is risen. Nope. Nope. I'll give you one more chance later, maybe, if you're, if, you're very, if you're very good. We have to deal with this burial uh, because this is part of the gospel. It's listed there in Paul's definition, and we usually kind of skip over it. You know, we go cross, empty tomb. But there is, there is, the tomb was full for a little while. After Jesus died on the cross, there was a guy named Joseph who had been a secret disciple. He believed Jesus was the Messiah, but didn't want the embarrassment and persecution he would undoubtedly get from his peers in choosing to follow Jesus. And after Jesus died, he comes forward and he puts it all on the line. He risks everything. And he he takes Jesus' body. And Mark's gospel says he craved the body of Jesus. And and he prepares Jesus' body for burial. And then he buries him in his own tomb. And the body of Jesus spent a couple of nights there. Now, if you can hear my voice right now, then you are still alive. But... Believe it or not, this is another place. This burial is a place where your life and Jesus' life intersect. It's just like it was your sins that died on the cross. It was you who were buried with Jesus. Do you remember that happening? You probably don't, but you were there. Romans chapter 6, verse 2, it says, How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him. It's been done. Have you been baptized? Well, then you were buried with him. What an amazing thought to have that all our sins have been put to death, buried, they're done, it's over. We think of forgiveness like God looking away from our sins. It's so much better than that. It's so much better than that. He's killed them. He's buried them. They are no more. When people would sacrifice an animal for their sins and put their sins on that animal, the animal would be killed. You wouldn't really want it any other way. Sin has to be judged. It has to be removed. Jesus took the sins of the world. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then they put him to death and they buried him. And when they did, they put the sins to death and buried them. Your sin is is dead. This is much better than merely being free from the consequences of sin, not getting caught or something like that. It's not just, it's not like you keep on sinning and sinning and God's not looking anymore or something. He has set you free by killing the sin that would control you. He has put to death the sin that is controlling you. Do not think that any of your sins are more powerful than his sacrifice. What kind of blasphemy would that be anyway? Don't begin to think that it's just your lot in life 
you've made it this far and it's just your lot now to struggle through your issues and addictions and pride and discontentment. And No, those sins are dead. They've been killed and buried. And this is why the gospel, the good news, that's what gospel means, right? This is why the good news includes Christ's burial, because it was you who were buried there. It was your sins that went to the tomb. He represented you, the old you, the disobedient, rebellious you that can't seem to get your act together, who says, yeah, I'll start doing God's will once I get cleaned up a bit. That you that is controlled by lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust the pride of life, that you is dead and buried And if you have met Jesus and placed your sins on him, then your sins are dead and buried. Your sins are dead, but Jesus isn't, right? That's the good news at the end. That's Easter. And you've been waiting for me to talk about resurrection because I think it is today that we're supposed to talk about that. Um, This is the final part of the gospel. In the verse I read from 1 Corinthians 15, the definition for the gospel was this. Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Christ is risen from the dead. That's that I didn't say anything. That's not the line. That's not the line. Is this your first Easter service? Well, welcome. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. That's not the line, guys. The church has been doing this for 2,000 years in every language, and you just can't seem to get it right. Man, we should have had a class or something. So after, after Joseph and Nicodemus, they come and they put, they put Jesus in Joseph's tomb, right? Jesus' body, his dead body stayed there until Sunday morning. And early that morning, before it was light, a few of the women that had been part of his ministry went to that tomb, and it's empty because Jesus isn't there. There were angels there though. And one of them asked, um, one of them, one of them told the ladies, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. He is risen. I'll just give you that one. All right. That wasn't in the notes, but you wanted it so bad. You wanted it so bad. All right. And they went and they told the disciples and the the word gets around and Jesus appears to people. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 goes on and it says that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then the 12. And then after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. And then after that, by James. And, And Luke's biography of Jesus includes a meeting with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? That's a cool story. And Jesus shows them all the places in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible that that spoke of him. And people saw this miracle of resurrection in a number of different ways, and it was awesome. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and here, too, your life story is the same as his. When Christ was raised, so were you. Romans 6 again. I've said it a couple times, but we're going to read it again. Romans 6 verse 4 says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We talk about your old life just being gone. Your sins have been judged. They've been killed. They've been buried. They've been left. The sinner version of you is dead. But then what? Do you stay dead? No. Just like Jesus, who didn't stay dead, but rose again in a glorious new body, you too get to live a new glorious life. And as we already read, it's a life that that is hidden with Christ 
in God. You died with Christ. You were buried with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. Colossians 2 verse 12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. If you've placed your faith in his death, then your sins were put to death with Jesus on the cross. If you placed your faith in Jesus who is alive, then your sins, they've been buried, rendered powerless, but you're alive now. If those things are true, then you have been raised with Christ to a new life. That new life has new concerns, new interests, new priorities. Colossians 3 in verse 1, it says, if then you were raised with Christ, and then we say, if, well, yeah, I have been, okay, I am, this, this is me, this is talking about me. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. All that stuff I was talking about, about putting away sin, being done with sin, how Paul said in Galatians 2, 20, have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he continues, he says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. All of this stuff is because of the resurrection. Your life is now tied up in a resurrected Savior. That's where you live. This is, in fact, the meaning of life. The meaning of the new life is having your life hid with Christ in God. It's having it no longer be your life anymore, but Christ living through you. It is bringing you to the awareness where, uh, that Paul eventually had where you can say, I'm, it's not even me anymore. To live, that's Christ. It's just Jesus. The resurrection gives you this. It shows you that this is kind of the point. In Romans 4.25, it says that Jesus was raised for our justification. You remember what that means? freedom from the consequences of sin. He raised from the dead so that you can be absolutely sure that when Jesus and your sin got in a fight, Jesus won. And you don't have to deal with it anymore. And without, without the resurrection, we are not justified. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, if Christ is not raised, then we're still in our sins. Everything hangs on this hook. But Jesus is alive. He did raise from the dead and he was raised for our justification. Colossians 3 just told us that if we've been raised with Christ, we're to set our mind now on things above, where Christ is. Because Jesus rose from the dead and you are with him, then your mind can be focused on heavenly things. You don't have to be constantly thinking about the garbage that this world will cram into your brain. You don't have to dwell on or act on the sins that so easily ensnare you. Christ died and rose for our sanctification. Hebrews 10 verse 10 tells us, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. To be sanctified is to be set apart. And that's what happened to you when Christ rose from the dead. You have been raised. You've been set apart from your sins, which are still in the grave. So your mind can now be focused on heavenly things. You can now walk in newness of life. You can say with Paul that the life you now live, you live to God. Christ rose for our justification. He rose to ensure our sanctification, and that's not all. We've been talking about resurrection applying to us in these somewhat metaphorical terms, but let me assure you, the resurrection is not metaphorical. It's not just a spiritual an anomaly. Jesus was raised in the flesh. His body rose from the grave, and your body will rise too. 
Now, again, these are deep mysteries. These are beyond our understanding or explanation, but we, they are not beyond celebration. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead is living in you now in order to make your life here on earth look just like Jesus's life. Now that spirit that raised Christ from the dead will also raise up your mortal bodies after you die. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are fallen asleep, the first fruits not the last fruits, the first fruits. It means he's not the only one to be raised from the dead. He's just the first one. When you're in heaven, when all of us are in heaven at the end, resurrection won't be special. Everyone's done it. At the end, everyone's done it. Everyone in heaven at that point is like, oh yeah, been there, done that. New bodies? Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, it won't even be special because he's the first fruits and we're just following his lead. Everyone you've ever known who has died will be raised either to eternal life or eternal condemnation. 1 Thessalonians 4.14, it says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. If you believe in the resurrection, you believe that death is not the end. Death doesn't win. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 14 says, And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 2 Corinthians 4, 14 knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. You will be raised just like Christ was raised from the dead. If you have died with Christ, if you've been buried with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, then yes, you will get to spend eternity in paradise with Christ. There's verses even that say that you get to sit down with him on his throne, like there's enough room for all of us there. It's a big one. You will be raised to live apart from all death, pain, sadness, all the consequences of sin. You will be free from the presence of sin. This is called glorification. Christ rose from the dead so you could get some of it. <laughs> Easter is pretty much the biggest day on the church calendar, right? And it's because it's when we celebrate this fact, Jesus is not dead, but our sins are. Jesus is alive and we live with him and we will reign with him. All of this is promised to us in the resurrection. And in the meanwhile, knowing this, we look at this fallen world and we look towards the next through new eyes, fixing our, our eyes on Jesus now, raising up to, to fill our minds with heavenly things. We get a cleansed perspective because we know sin loses. In fact, it already lost. Death loses. It already lost. Oh, death, where is your sting? Hell, where is your victory? Glory is coming. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, no one has yet believed in God and the kingdom of God. No one has yet heard about the realm of the resurrected and not been homesick for that hour, waiting and looking forward joyfully to being released from bodily existence. Death is hell and night and cold if it is not transformed by our faith. But that is just what is so marvelous we can transform death. Our faith has transformed death. Resurrection transforms death into something that we, we can even celebrate around. Because Christ died, I died too. 
Praise the Lord, hallelujah, right? All, all my sins, past, present, future, all my failures have been put to death on the cross. They've been buried with Jesus and I never have to let them have power over me again. That's good news. We celebrate death. We just transformed death. After Jesus was done being dead, because really a weekend is long enough for anyone, he took up, he took up his life again and with it, he brought mine up too. I am living a new life, and I'd invite you to do the same. I'm looking forward to a new life in heaven for all of eternity. And I expect all of you there with me. And, and we have these, these promises for us based not on how much faith we can muster in a certain moment or how many good things we can do or where, you know, where's the boxes. We have this promise that Jesus rose from the dead. It wasn't my idea. I didn't raise him from the dead. We just have this promise saying he rose and he says you were there with him and you can believe that or not. We have this, this promise, this invitation in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So we rejoice around the resurrection because when we set our hearts on the risen Christ and see God has raised him from the dead, the dead, we are experiencing a salvation. We are living where our salvation lives in the resurrected Christ. I'm going to pray. If any of you want prayer for anything at all, in specific or otherwise, uh, you can come and I'd be happy to pray with you before you leave today. You want to do the thing one more time? I know you do. Yes. He is risen. He is risen yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgive you for that other time. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, a resurrected king, we worship you. We love you. We thank you that we are with you. We believe it. We believe that you have raised us up to newness of life, that even now, Lord, we are seated with you in heavenly places. I praise you for what you have done, for how you are working through that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, and for your promises of glorification, of life everlasting, of, of a heaven where where resurrected saints enjoy their resurrected Savior. We're homesick for it, Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Please stand. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Sent. Everything's on. Bible study, youth group, whatever you want to come to. Just come to everything. Everything's on.